0: Good morning, welcome to the show Wednesday, November the 24th. It's a little grey here in TW11 today and it's starting to get really cold. Continuing our build-up to the Ladbrokes Trophy at Newbury at the weekend, I'll be talking to Brendan Powell Jr., who rides Fiddler on the Roof, fresh from his success with the Tizard training team, courtesy of Lost in Translation at Ascot last weekend. Sarah Kumani of Fittuck Stud tells me about the difficulty and challenges presented by preparing foals for a sale and she's got seven to consign at Tattersalls today. She also gives me a couple of tips for some of the the top sires that might emerge this week. Professional Jockeys Association Executive Director Dale Gibson is along to tell me about the changes, the long-awaited changes to weighing room and jockeys room facilities on race courses and particularly getting female changing room facilities up to an equivalent level to their male counterparts. Uh, J.A. McGrath is here from Hong Kong. We'll talk about the latest from the IHRB on the samples from Monister Revin but first of all Dave Yates from the Daily Mirror there was a strange race at Punchestown yesterday what happened?
1: Right first of all there was a gamble on a six-year-old mare called All Class for a handicap chase at the meeting uh, she was having her second start for Ronan McNally having left David Dunn, for whom she won over hurdles off a mark of 80 at Sligo in July she was racing over fences here from a mark of 85. She was backed from 13 to 2 into 4 to 1. That was her opening price uh, on the track. And then further support saw her SP uh, end up at 13 to 8. The race itself was very strange. The 13-year-old Capture the Drama went into a clear lead under Laura Costello. Uh, Dona Myler on All Class was clear in second. And Originally, there were 14 horses in behind. That was reduced to 12 after the first fence. They proceeded at a respectful distance. They were unhurried, I think it's fair to say, uh, the jockeys who were riding them. It was a strange race. Uh, Gerry as the winner, crossed the line, said, This has been a very odd race, and I don't think... I can put it any better than
0: that. Right. The the trainer of the winner, all class, is Ronan McNally. Now, Ronan has um, developed a a certain amount of um, fame and notoriety over the last couple of years as the trainer of The Real Deal and The Jam Man. Uh, And the former has incurred the wrath of Irish authorities. That case is still continuing, as you're about to hear. But first of all, in an interview that yielded certainly more than I anticipated when I made the call to, to Ronan McNally... He explains his feelings on how his mayor won yesterday.
2: Ah, uh, yeah, Nick, it was, uh, oh, look, it was surreal to watch. I was actually nervous early part of the race thinking maybe Donor had done the wrong thing following the leader because in that situation you probably think that everyone else is getting it right and the first two are getting it wrong but at halfway I sort of knew at that stage they were getting further and further back that uh, the winner was either in front or sitting second so I was happy at that stage and I, I felt that the winner the 13 year old uh, the leader sorry had went too fast so I was always confident from halfway that we were going to win but it was a bit of a force of a race and uh I suppose uh, it's got a lot of media attention and all, and it'd just be interested to see how the handicapper reads it because it was basically
0: a non-event. Left. Uh, listen, you—they can't keep you out of the headlines, Ronan. After after the real deal in the Jam Man last year, do you basically think all the other jockeys misjudged it? They just misjudged the pace, and your man Donna Donimala got it right. Yeah, yeah.
2: Look at one hundred percent. I think uh, there was a couple fell at the first. Uh, the the, the girl that was riding the horse in front there, probably everyone thought was going maybe a gear too quick and everyone thought that Seth had got it 100% right, he was clever enough to go and I just think the race got away on them I just thought they probably thought all along right, they're going to steady it up, they're going to steady it up but they didn't nip and uh, at that I'd say by halfway they realised the writing was on the wall and and there was no chance of getting back at that point so I'd say it was just maybe the other ones definitely misjudged us slightly
0: I'm just having a look at this horse's career Again it's been a sort of varied one In terms of flat hurdles, fences uh, Just looking at the previous chasing runs I can't think you were terribly confident To go back over fences were you?
2: Uh, not look, You can't be mad confident When uh, her Beginner's chase is there She jumps so poorly and then she fell on her on her handicap debut over fences. But if you actually watch that race through, she jumped impeccably and fell at the last. So uh, that would have give you a wee glimmer of hope there that uh, that be just an mistake there. she had to have learned from that. So we, were, we she jumped really well at home and jumped her as well. So we weren't uh, we weren't hundred and ten percent confident she was going to jump around, especially grade one track like that. But we were hopeful.
0: All right, so why, why did you why did you put the money down thirteen to eight favourite? What what made you think right today's the day? Next,
2: look, I'll have to be honest there. Like, yes, I did back yesterday. It wasn't colossal sums of money. The bookies nowadays are, don't take colossal sums of money to, to put a horse in, and especially night runners. Like I have horses running maiden's Nick, and on the flat, and they're going from hundred or two hundred to one to three to one favourite. Uh, overnight and stuff you know what I mean and, and I just think if there's any sort of money comes to my horses at all uh, the bookies just run for cover and, and cut them you know so I think uh, I think the SPs and all are very false now since Covid because uh, they're basically not set by the on course bookmakers anymore so uh, I don't know about the prices nowadays it's sort of it's the bottom, really
0: now, Ronan, is it is are we come round to having to concede that you are in fact a racehorse trainer that uh, that occasionally fits the odd kitchen rather than a kitchen fitter who trains the occasional racehorse?
2: No, no, no. We're <laughs> flat out of the kitchen. Uh, Nick, like I've just really uh, riding out here, like so that's not really a racehorse trainer or such as uh, still once I get done washing the horse here now, once I get done this morning there, I'll be straight to the kitchens there. So, uh, look, I'm mixing, i both, coach, you know. Uh, and uh, just at the minute, that's the
0: way it is. Well, presumably there is only a, we're just m- marking time until until your son Tubbs takes over, aren't we?
2: Yeah, look, I, the, the dream would be for him to be stable Jackie. Look, that's my dream anyway, and hopefully that's his dream. So we'll uh, we'll see how things uh, pan out from there, you know. But I, I did I did I did do my course to get my full license, Nick. But just. Uh, I passed all the modules and stuff but they haven't granted me the licence until the derailed deal. Uh, investigation has concluded uh, for improving the form, which I find maybe very, very unfair because I haven't been uh, found... Uh, guilty of any wrongdoing Yet I'm not allowed to get my full license, even though I've passed my modules. You know, so I do, I do feel a wee bit hard done by it at the moment. You know.
0: So just remind me, how long has this investigation been going on for?
2: now? Uh, it's been on from September 2020, so it's been on a year and two months or something. And uh, look, I've provided all the information I need to I'm a hundred and ten percent confident there. I've done nothing wrong. Uh, the horses weren't well at the time, and, and then to go and do my full license, I had to, I had to lease horses out. During the summer there, because I hadn't the scope to train them, because I hadn't the full license, and then that seemed to be a problem as well. And uh, so it did uh, people trying to think, we were trying to be clever, but I just didn't have the scope to train them uh, with my license. So I went and done the full license; wasn't granted it because uh, the real deal investigations going on. So I, I, I don't understand the whole thing; it's totally baffling to me.
0: Yeah, not. I mean, it's it's baffling in a sense that. You've given your explanation, but obviously it is correct for the, the stewards in Ireland to say, hang on a minute, Ronan, this horse has improved a gazillion stone and you need to provide an explanation for it.
2: Yeah, and, and I provided all the medical evidence and all the rest, and it all backs everything up. I haven't told any lies. Everything, every bit of evidence that gives has, has checked out. And Nick, this doesn't happen just with the real deal flow. And Porter started off at, at 90 or something, and he went on to win a world hurdle, and there wasn't a word of it, you know what I mean? Uh so you know, you know how how have I been singled out? Like this happens every day of the week. Uh, playing Castle is only after winning six in a row there in Ireland, you know. And you know there doesn't be a word about anyone else's horses. It just seems to be has been plucked out of the plucked out of the uh, the crowd, and it's just oh, she sure, will we'll make an example of own in here.
0: If you if we're on the subject of the real deal, are, are we going to see this horse soon and over fences?
2: Yeah, yeah, he's gonna be over Santos I'd say in the next ten days to two weeks. Nick, he actually had an entry at Carlisle on Sunday, but uh, we're sorta of done uh, we've done a nice school on Monday there and we're sort of giving a bit of work the week before. So I just feel Carlisle's maybe coming a wee bit too soon. So I'll i i map out a race. Uh, next ten days to two weeks we'll see him and Daphne hopefully over Sanchez, yeah. Jump, look at he jumps amazing, he's he's uh, he looks every every bit of chaser, you know.
0: If you were going to characterise yourself, then Ronan, if you think you, if you think the sort of the the establishment or the industry or the media have got one impression of you, how would you how would you describe yourself? Are you someone who who likes a punt, likes a touch, likes laying one out? What's the sort of what's the sort of modus operandi? Nice, look
2: at nice, What I do is I like buying nice young horses. I don't abuse, debu- I don't abuse them early on. To, uh, to. Uh, Make sure, uh, you know, I, I want them to train on into 7, 8, 9. You've seen a train CW there to what he a won at 16. I don't want them to be flashing the pans at 4, and then you don't see them again at 6. So I, I train them sort of my own way to get them to train on. Uh, yes, if a, if a fancy one, and I do know usually when I have the, the horses right, but it's not it's not all the time the horses be right, so it is a skill in itself knowing when they are 100%. So when they are 100%, I like to have a, a bit of a bet, which isn't uh, illegal, and I don't understand why there's such a fuss made of it. Then, when you have a bet, uh, and we have lots of losers, the, the, the authorities or, or the media don't seem to be too bothered when you when you have a, a bit of a touch and it gets beat. But then, when you when you land a bit of a touch, or it looks like you've had. Uh, a winner, everyone gives off then that there's a whole big conspiracy going on. So, I just think the media sort of play up to the whole whole batting thing far too
0: much. I mean, I'm I just sort of looking at the, the real deal. It's funny thing actually because all the all the races he got thrashed in before he started the winning streak. Yeah, if you're if you're a a regular punter, just or just an occasional punter, and you see a string of noughts by the horse's name, you think, well, how the hell's this horse gone on one by six and a half lengths? And somebody knew because he was well backed. I've been hoodwinked. Then on the other Uh, hand, then Go on.
2: You see, if you watch his race the previous time on the flat at uh, Cork, Mm. he ran in seven for a long sprint, and uh, he he was struggling to go with them early, and he got gone late and absolutely flew through the line on firm ground. And anyone watching that race that had half a notion about horses would know, Jesus, this is a three-miler. Seven and point to point, and he's only had to get beat seven lengths in a sprint on fast ground. That is a good run. That was light years ahead of what he had ever produced before that. So, uh, so I, I don't agree to say that he's never no farm. That that farm, yeah, that was that was the run, that told us Jesus Christ, we have this horse right now, you
0: know. Well, that's the point I was coming to in a sense: is that everyone who follows the few horses that you do train knows that you're quite funky in the way you do things. You're quite unconventional. You will you will mess around with trips and flat and codes and you'll do things that most trainers don't do.
2: Yeah, and the beauty of that is I, I own the horses, so I don't have to try and keep owners happy and then maybe giving off that you're doing all these weird and wonderful things. But I find those those runs and the flat runs and sprints and changing it up there sort of keep the horses fresh in their mind and, and, and just sort of bring them on naturally rather than killing them, you know what I mean, killing them at home.
0: Um, I only rang you to talk about them... <laughs> Yesterday, I feel like I've got more than I bargained for.
2: Yeah, look, I just uh, some this year I've been a wee bit disillusioned with the game, and 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 to be honest, uh, Nick, I just felt the turf club have treated me very, very, very harshly. There, I felt sort of half victimised the whole way along. Uh, I do feel like I've been pulled out of the crowd to make some sort of an example of them because we landed a bit of a touch when it's happening every day of the week everywhere else and no one's really uh, asked any questions. So I just, uh, at, at one point during the summer, I felt that giving given up and I've been totally honest and, and, and I'm still not really enjoying it the way I should because this the real deal. case is hanging over me and I've been uh, I've been asking for uh, information on the case for months now without any reply you know what I mean so it's just for, for my mental health it's been a very 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 hard year and that's been totally honest you know and the are talking the jockeys mental health and all that but trainers have minds as well and they can be put under serious pressure from the authorities and from the media as well
0: you know Ronan McNally there right David Yates uh, quite a bit to uh, take a look at there first of all what do you make of Ronan's contention that he has been somewhat victimized when it comes to stewards inquiries
1: yeah, I think there's a. I think that is a very fair point. Generally, we should say that the explanations of the jockeys at Punterstown uh, were noted, and they were asked by the stewards to explain. You know, what were were pretty poor tactics on their part. In general, though, I agree with Ronan McNally. I think that this happens in Ireland, and I think it happens in in Britain too. I think that the regulators in both countries are apt to choose their targets in cases like this and i have some sympathy with him i also have some sympathy when he says he references the bookmakers and how much it actually takes to uh, make those prices contract that's clearly an awful lot less uh, than it was in the, the 1970s or 80s
0: now dave as to the complaint that the De real deal improvement in case was taking a long time and was hanging over him and Renan McNally wasn't very pleased about that. The IHRB, the Irish Australian Regulatory Board, have responded by saying that it's a significantly complex investigation which requires this time, and that is the reason that it is ongoing, but it has kept lines of communication open with with Mr McNally.
1: I think that's a difficult one because I think the regulator will always say, well, we're taking our time so that we don't leave any stones unturned. He mentioned and referenced Flooring Porter there, of course, a horse who's made the strides in the uh, stayer's hurdle ranks last season for Gavin Cromwell. And it, he, the phrase that jumped out at me in that interview was being pulled out of the crowd uh, over something that elsewhere happens every day of the week. He references mental health. Liam Burke, of course, is on the front of the trade paper today saying that his mental health was affected by... The, the fallout from the raid at Monster so whilst I have sympathy for Ronan McNally with regard to the smaller operator being targeted by regulators and the fact that it doesn 't take much money to shift a horse 's price, I think in the case of de real deal, as I say, the IHRB would say we are we are taking our time in, in, in order that,
0: in, in order that you get. Uh, a fair hearing. You mentioned the raid in Monasterevan. There was some interesting and important news from the Irish Horse Racing Regulatory Board yesterday, Dave.
1: Yes, indeed. The raid, of course, on the stud farm at Monasterevan took place, what, 15 days ago now. At the time, the IHRB, who were present with the Department of Agriculture officials and uh, the Guardian they took samples from the horses who were present and they proved negative uh, for substances, uh, to use the quote, that were prohibited at all times. And so I think that we can infer from that that what they mean is, is performance enhancers, steroids. Um, and so those tests have come back negative from the horses that were on site. I, I don't think in truth that this tells us an awful lot more. The raid took place in the first place on information that the department had received and whilst yes the the horses that were there at the time have returned negative tests there's still an awful lot more uh, fallout to uh, to come out of this and I, I don't think necessarily we need to take this as a uh, a sign that everything
0: is in, that everything in the garden is rosy. Yeah, we still don't know what the substance is or substance was that was was found that was taken away. That's a, a department issue. We don't even know the the identity of all the horses that were in that stable. We don't even know whether all of them were thoroughbreds, let alone race horses. So, um, yeah, it is a, an interesting and important st- holding statement from from the IHRB, but it is only one small piece of the of the whole jigsaw. So await further facts in this case. You might recall a couple of months ago here on the, on the podcast, it may even have been longer ago, we spoke to Dale Gibson, the Executive Director of the uh, Professional Jockeys Association about weighing room facilities uh, and about how they needed to be improved across the board. But Also, there needed to be much better and much more up-to-date provisions for female jockeys. Uh, an announcement yesterday seemed to be a, a step in the right direction. Dale's with me again. Dale, what's happened?
3: Morning, Nick. Um, certainly, some positive developments since the last time uh, we spoke. It's been uh, an ongoing process with regular meetings with the BHA and the Racecourse Association and their representatives since March. So, um, really good news to report that um, uh, minimum standards have been agreed to uh, kick off early in the new year plans will have to be in from um all race courses by february we know that certain race courses will have to submit planning applications for their developmental work um, we know that some race courses will have more work to do than others but it will be across the piece and um it will include a number of individual updates to the weighing room structures which will benefit both male and female riders there'll be a central valet area there'll also be an uh, improved capacity for the restroom stroke canteen to accommodate more individual riders more showers and very importantly a warm-up area in every racetrack um and uh, i think that'll um, that'll really hold its own um as we as we progress into the future
0: yeah that's the one thing i mean aside from the fact that Clearly, there's been a um, an inequality as regards you know, provision of facilities for male and female jockeys over the years. The one other thing that's really struck me is that you can't keep yourself fit, and it's it's in a, a sport a sport for elite athletes. Absolutely, and and, and you're correct. Um, it's it's something that we've
3: we've maybe just taken a little bit of time to um, realise as a sport. Um, actually, that that facility. At the venue, I mean, don't get me wrong, the, the, the schools of Pedro Sullivan House, Jack Berry House, Oaksie House, etc. have been fantastic over the years, as you well know, Nick, for getting those riders um, fit from an accident or, or, or maybe in their quiet time. But actually on race day which is something that many other jurisdictions use, that ability um, to, 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 to warm up or warm down after exercise actually in the weighing room venue, I think is going to be a, a, a huge positive uh, in years to come.
0: Especially if you've been crunched up in a car for five hours.
3: Absolutely, um, you are quite right. So we are looking at having uh, either WAP bikes or exercise bikes uh, and then uh, warm-up mats as well in, in, in each uh, warm-up area um, with a small TV screen if, if, if that's during race. And, and, and the riders want to watch you know, the current racing or the, or, the, or the racing from another venue, um, it will be an area that's that's very close to the central Valor area. So it will be away from the actual changing room environment and it'll just be good for mental health as well, Nick. I think it's really important with everything we've learned over over COVID and mental health issues. It can only benefit every person, every jockey that's in that wine room.
0: Right, so you're going to need a schedule for development. When do you expect all of this to be complete?
3: Well, um, we've had we've had a good negotiation with uh, both the RCA and the BHA. Originally, it was looking to be completed by the end of 2025, which seems light years away. We've managed to bring that forward to, the, to October 2024. We're already working on um, plans with individual tracks and, and with the help of the BHA Inspectorate um, to hopefully um, expediate some of some some individual plans uh, prior to that to end date of October uh, 24. And we know that some track's already kicking on with plans. Uh, I've spoken to Jockey Club racecourses this week, um, and they're going to have a a hit list for for, for early next year. ARC will have a hit list for early next year. Um, We just have to be a little bit mindful of the fact that um, builders and materials and all things um, combined with that type of uh, issue Nick I have been held up just because of current worldwide shortages I'm not going to start making excuses for them because I personally will be be, um, giving the chase up but um, we have to be sensible in our expectations Um, not every track will be finished within 12 months some will be 24 months and a few will run beyond that 24 months but the good thing is plans will be in place early in the new year we will continue our lobbying and negotiating and liaison with individual clerks because obviously each individual track will have potential individual issues Um, but the jockeys have really got behind this Nick in the last few weeks both male and female both flat and jump both young and old and um, probably because they've They've had temporary facilities since COVID struck and racing resumed. That's going back to June 2020, which seems like light light years ago. But they've been brilliant in putting up with temporary facilities um, at various uh, facilities up and down the country, which, which have served their purpose, Nick. But, you know, they've been putting up with pretty average facilities at a lot of venues for a long time now.
0: Dale Gibson, there, David. It's not one of these where we should be hoisting the bunting, but it's it's clearly a, a move in the right direction.
1: Yes, of course, it's a step in the right direction. It's a step that's taken an awful long time, isn't it? I mean, if, for example, we were talking or, or we, we we read reports of female jockeys having no option but to mix with male jockeys on race courses often, often in, in various states of, of dress or undress, let's, let's put it that way. If we were talking, if we, we read those reports, and we thought we were talking about, you know, gay Kellaway riding uh, in the 80s, or Joanna Morgan riding in Ireland, we think, well, you know, yes, that's how it was back then. But for this still to be happening at the end of 2021 is obviously unacceptable. Um, and Yes, it, it's, it's, it's good that uh, steps are now being taken to modernise these areas whereby uh, that sort of contact will no longer be uh, um, unavoidable. But I suppose the, the, the other thing to say about it is, is simply what took you so long.
0: Well, as flagged up earlier in the week on this show, there was a board meeting yesterday at the British Horse Racing Authority as the key stakeholders, the racecourses and the horsemen's group, uh, attempt to reshape the way that the British Horse Racing Authority is run with those key stakeholders really controlling commercial policy rather than the, the independent BHA, which would leave the BHA in, in primarily a regulatory role. Uh, I've spoken to one or two key players this morning. They're reluctant to come on the record uh, at the moment, but they say talks are progressing. That's about as far as I got, uh, Dave, to be honest with you. But an MP, a Member of Parliament, has intervened in this debate.
1: Lawrence Robertson is the Tory MP for Tewkesbury. He's quoted on the front of the trade paper today saying that if the commercial uh, control of racing were handed to the horsemen and the race courses, that this would lead to a more corporate approach. Well, I I was interested when this story broke uh, the other day because when it said that it had split racing down the middle, most of the people I spoke to and I'm talking about the the grassroots, those of us at the bottom of the pyramid, uh, thought that for the BHA to be excluded uh, in this way and and thereby reduced to um, a regulatory role would be a very bad thing for horse racing. I I wouldn't have said 50-50, I'd have said about 98-2 personally. Now, Lawrence Robertson, of course, is right that there are some very sharp business brains running race courses. um, I'd, I'd say that in the case of Arena Racing Company, for example, those people have very fierce uh, commercial acumen that can be used for racing's benefit. However, in the case of uh, Arena Racing, they also have shareholders. Their primary objective is to them, and if it were not, the shareholders would want to know why. So in that sense, I feel that if I can throw my two penneth in, Lawrence Robertson may may well be right in that a more corporate approach um, might result from this. But for me, I think that the racecourses already have too much power. We go back to the OFT ruling of 2003 uh, when the BHB, as it was then, lost control of the fixture list. Most of the people I speak to these days think the racecourses have got too much power. And I think handing them with the horsemen, and remember the two groups couldn't Agree recently over prize money and shutting the the BHA out in the cold in that regard and reducing its role for me that could only be a negative.
0: Right, continuing our build up to the uh, Ladbrokes Trophy then uh, Newbury at the weekend. We've spoken to a number of leading connections this week. Uh, yesterday Cornelius Lysy gave a big shout to the chances of Fiddler on the Roof who came back with uh, victory last time. Brendan Powell uh, rides the horse for for Colin and Joe Tizard and, and joins me now. Brendan, this is a, a big ride in a big race on a horse with a serious chance. How excited are you about Fiddler on the Roof at the weekend?
4: Very excited, Nick. Um, obviously, he's a, he's a live contender, isn't he? And um, he did everything right at Carlisle. And, you know, going into the race, couldn't, couldn't really be happier with, with the horse I'm riding,
0: really. He's a horse who wasn't slow as a young horse at all. He won a with Hurdler, grade one, as a, as a novice hurdler. Um, does he feel like a stayer to you? <laughs>
4: Like he's obviously got a bit of pace, but he, you know, he wasn't he wasn't stopping at at Carlisle, and um, I believe he did he break the, the track record on soft ground rounder that day. So you need a bit of pace with you know in those in those big handicaps, to sort of try and hold your position. But he, he feels to me like like, like he will stay. Um, so I you know as far as I'm aware he's he's, he's fit and ready to go. So the Tizards will have him in have a good shape.
0: And really the motif of the season or one of the motifs of the season has been a, a slight resurgence in the fortunes of the Tizard yard which neatly coincides with, with you getting back on a, a lot of the, the high profile horses um, how do you feel the horse is at home, you've obviously ridden him since Carlisle
4: yeah I actually scored him this morning Nick um, the first time i sat on him since Carlisle and um, we jumped, I think we only jumped four, four fences and, and two hurdles this morning but feels in really good order and, um, and you know feels very very fresh and well in himself so you know all systems go for Saturday
0: really and you're bidding to win your second big Saturday race in succession because you won on Lost in Translation the feature at Ascot last weekend um, what sort of feel did he give you do you think he's the Lost in Translation of, of old yet
4: um, to be honest Nick I, I don't really know because obviously that was the first time I'd ridden him um, look at it whether or not he'll be as good as as he was a couple of seasons ago, it, you know, is yet to be seen. But, um, you know, it was a great training performance from the our team to, to get him back off what was, you know, quite a poor season for the horse because he obviously had a few issues um, with his health. But um, I do think he'll improve the run fitness-wise. And it would it, have been the first proper race he'd had for a long time as well. You know, you, you know when, when horses you know, when they pull up and finish down the field in the race, they're not really in the mix <clears throat> at the back end of the race. So it was his first proper race he'd had for a while. So you'd like to think, <clears throat> all being well, if he comes out of the race okay, he should be open to, to mass improvement. And, and, and hopefully, hopefully for everyone's sake, he, he does turn out to be the force of old, you know.
0: And, and this uh, renewed association sort of formalized association with colin and, and joe you know it all started years ago when when you won at cheltenham on, on golden chieftain how does it feel to be sort of right back in the thick of things
4: oh it's brilliant nick i mean you know i i, I turned up to, to, to colin's as a spotty faced 16 year old and um you know between colin and, and the whole family they you know they took you know they, they took me in like a member of the family really and um you know, when I was a young lad Joe took me under his wing. I lived with Joe for a few years, um, and you know, I was very, very lucky from a from a young age to be given some very good opportunities for you know, from the Tizard team and, you know, they they got me going essentially really. Um, and so it's great now to be to be back riding for them again and, and obviously, you know, be be Colin's sort of final season as a trainer and um, you know, Joe's a massive part of it now as well, so do, to, to, to have the association with them again and, and be riding them you know big winners is is, is you know it does mean a lot and it's it's, it's uh, I'm, I'm very grateful for the opportunities
0: all right brendan powell jr there looking forward to his ride on fiddler on the roof in saturday's ladbrooks trophy at newbury race course now as you heard from tattersall's sales marketing director jimmy george earlier in the week there's something for everyone at park paddocks over the next couple of weeks we've had yearlings next week we've got all the brood mares today it's the foals some beautifully bred ones as well consigning seven of those foals is sarah kumani's fitux Stud. sarah joins me on the line now sarah how does it differ for you and your team preparing foals say relative to to yearlings or or horses in training does it does it present a a very different challenge well it it, it does differ
5: quite significantly really because um seems to be the closer you get to racing the fewer people there are around to buy them whereas foals um everybody i mean so many people look at every foal and a lot of people want to buy foals because they hope they're going to be able to resell them as yearlings for lots of money
0: in your experience is judging a foal the ultimate test for for someone who likes to judge a racehorse
5: um yes i think it is i think it is i think so many things can change i think i mean if you have a nice foal it's always probably going to be a nice foal but if you have a foal that's sort of hitting the sales at a bad time um and it's just going through a growing patch or or um just just it is not its moment um and you haven't got much much choice of where else you can sell them uh, they can change enormously. So I think it is a, it is a, a big skill buying foals to resell, yes.
0: Well, I'm interested in how, you know, horses who are so young, they, they they change so much from foal to yearling and yearling to to sort of breeze up horse. I'm interested in how they take the whole experience of being at, at the sales and, and how difficult it is for you to get them there and to get them well, well handled enough to cope with it all.
5: Well, again, it's a very good question because... Um, prepping a yearling um, you've got two months to do it and um, it's a much more straightforward task prepping prepping a foal for the big days at the sales is is almost impossible because we've had one foal out 70 times yesterday and however much you do with them at home it's, it's it's hard to sort of Prepare them for that.
0: Are they are they exhausted after seventy times? I mean, can you yes, can you get yes. them to raise a walk after after yeah, seventy no, they, shows? They
5: are exhausted. And actually, there was a bit of a there was a bit of a, um, a suggestion yesterday that, in fact, on the Tuesday, which is the day when most of them, you know, they everybody's looking at as many foals as they can, that there ought to be a sort of hours break in the middle of the day for for foals and staff because it's a, it's a lot for everybody. <laughs> it is a lot, and the foals take it, I think, incredibly well. But they were literally asleep on their feet last night at the end of the at the end of the day
0: now i i know that you're consigning most of these foals for for others and and a lot the fitx horses will will be offered mainly as as yearlings next year but i i did note that you've got um two darn hot foals this year yourself i know you're not consigning them in this sale and we've got a bit of a soft spot for him on the on the podcast because of the time we spent at at watership down toward the back end of of last year I'm, i'm fascinated to know how they're getting on
5: well again because we've been so busy looking trying to sell our own foals i haven't had a chance to look around but um i've i've heard nothing but nothing but good good things about the two darn hots and i can't wait to have a look at them myself but it might have to be more to the yearling to the yearling time we had two 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 darn hots of other people's um in the summer and they they were both lovely 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 foals just exactly what you'd expect um and so we're we're, we're we're very excited to see what they're going to do as yearlings.
0: And and, and you you've got quite long into Dubawi over the years. I mean, the dare I say, you got quite long into him before most people did.
5: Yeah, um, yeah, we, we did we did. Um, we obviously uh, had postponed. Who was who was a wonderful horse for us, um, and we we've always loved the Dubawis. I mean, he started he started. Funnily, because everybody liked the foals and then nobody liked the yearlings because they didn't walk. But then the rest is the rest is history. And it was what's so thrilling about the Jabawi and his offspring is that they he passes on the same sort of traits to all of them. They're they're very, I think we've always thought he's a very easy horse to breed to because they're nice and short coupled and strong and they don't walk. (laughs) But that has been that's accepted now. But um, I think his his sons are looking particularly exciting. Um, you know, time test uh, Zarak in um, in France, uh, New Bay, um, and so hopefully Tujan Hot will be will be the next
0: hot one. Sarah Kimani there, and who knows, one or two of them might be making their way one day to Hong Kong, which is where we head now. And Jay McGrath,
6: Nick, great excitement in Hong Kong today with breaking news concerning the Hong Kong International Races at Sha Tin on December the twelfth. There are 16 individual Group 1 winners featured on the list of selected runners published by the Hong Kong Jockey Club today. And they include the historic first Japanese Breeders' Cup winner, Loves Only You, who goes for the Cup over a mile and a quarter. And from Britain, Dubai Honour, Champion Stakes runner-up, he'll fly the flag in the Cup, while Coronation Cup winner Pile Driver will be aimed at the mile and a half vase, which has been his target ever since he suffered a training setback in late summer. It really is quite staggering, the overseas invitation list. I say staggering because don't forget, COVID restrictions are still severe in Hong Kong and all professionals, that's trainers and jockeys, must remain in the racing bubble for the duration of their stay in Hong Kong. That means hotel, racetrack, hotel, racetrack, nothing else. Aiden O'Brien, he's got a huge presence this year, a total of five. Bolshoi Ballet and uh, Japan, they go for the cup. Uh, Mogul defending his crown and broom, they're in the vase. And Mother Earth goes for the mile. And Jim Bolger, who's really out of the news these days, he's sending McSweeney for the cup worth £3 million this year, a race he won in 2004 with Alexander Goldrun. Alan de de Prey. well, he saddles his last big runner, a Beira, in the vase. The Japanese list, meanwhile, is formidable. Twelve invitees across all four international races. As I say, excitement that this fantastic meeting is still in the global context, despite all the restrictions in place. Uh, what are the prep races locally? Well, Sha Tin on Sunday was a little bit light. Longchamp. It was trials day for the international races, and it reminded me very much of watching the Pre-Foy or the Pre-Niel, those two uh, so-called trials that take place three weeks before the arc. The times they were running were incredibly slow on Sunday, sit and sprint. Golden 60, he was impressive in the Jockey Club mile, nevertheless. The fact that he came from last early off a very slow tempo, they ran the first half mile in 50.35 seconds. That must add further merit to the performance. It was his 15th win on the trot. Vincent Ho still riding him like a motorbike, but they get on so well. He now goes straight for the Hong Kong mile and he'll be terribly hard to beat. Mogul and pile driver. well, they won't have much to worry about in the vase if Sunday's Jockey Club Cup is anything to go by. They ran the 2000 metres 1.7 seconds slower than the Class 3 race uh, over the same trip, same day. Okay, back to basics. We have an eight-race card at Happy Valley today. And there's an interesting runner saddled by David Hayes in the first race, a Class 3, 5 furlong sprint. His name is Jinson. He's number two. That's race one, number two. Uh, he was second in a Blue Diamond Prelude as a two-year-old. And he's been well prepared for this Hong Kong debut. Bad luck for Chad Schofield, however, Uh, he's put in all the work on this fellow, but he's been stood down because he has a fever, and Blake Shin is the lucky man who comes in for the ride. Magic man, Joe Marrera, he's got a good book of rides. Amazing boy, race three, number five, uh, in a class five mile race. He's probably the best of them. Uh, Take him in multiples and the Toad Swinger with number three, all best friends. That's all the Hong Kong news I have for you. I'll be back with more next week.
0: Uh, Once again, thanks to Jim. Lovely stuff from Hong Kong. And thanks to all my earlier guests. And David Yates is here with a tip for today. Yes, we're going to
1: Kempton for the 7.15 race, uh, the listed contest there. Number three, Kenzai Warrior. Uh, This horse has had just one start on the all-weather that was a victory over course and distance in September has a few pounds to find with the principals here on official ratings but I think it has more to offer and certainly hails from an informed team that of Roger Teal so it's the 7.15 race
0: at Kempton Park selection number three Kenzai Warren all right Dave thanks so much thank you for listening that was Wednesday November the 24th we'll see you again tomorrow bye-bye <music>